0: day that salvation is by grace alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. But Father, we're tempted to add things to that after the fact, maybe some before the fact. So Father, I pray that we would see Paul's burden for the church at Colossae would be his burden for providence. We'd be any pastor's burden for his own people, to make us less like us and more like you. in Christ, we pray. Amen. How I many of you ever been caught in a riptide? You've ever been caught in a riptide? I mean, you know what a riptide is. You know what a riptide is? Okay. All right. We get them along the coast of North Carolina often, and especially out outer banks, they get seem to be worse. I want to tell you about two people that got caught in Riptide. The first group was my dad. This was before my days. My dad and my brother John and my brother Tari were all swimming. And they were actually going down to the coast, uh, to the beach, to with another principal. My dad was a high school principal. And so there was another principal of another school that uh, Mr. Honeycutt and his wife, that uh, they went with them. And so they were walking on the beach. And my dad had gone out in the water with my brother John and... Dad was the first to notice that they weren't staying in front of where Mom was. They were starting to drift, <clears throat> and before he realized it, they were they were caught. This was a strong one. There, you know, there's differing strengths out of them, but this one's a strong one. Uh, my dad was an airplane pilot, and so he learned not to panic. And so, the, and that's the key to a, a riptide: is if you'll just you'll calm down and start swimming out of it, you'll you'll eventually make it. But But it was, they were carrying them away down the beach. And Mr. Honeycutt grabbed my mom and he was thinking, you better wave by because they're gone. And he started walking my mom the other direction, fully expecting to find three bodies washed up on the shore or out in the ocean later on. But in about 15 or 20 minutes or so, uh, reported to me, Dad and Tari and John came walking up the beach and they'd gotten out of the riptide. That's one story. I had a young man that went to school with me. His name was Jerry Britt. I'll never forget him. He was in a, a church near us. wasn't in our church. was in a church. He memorized the entire book of John. You could start at any verse. He was a part of a Bible quiz team, and he had that kind of memory. It wasn't just that he had that kind of memory. I uh, remember one time by uh, our, our uh, I think it was our ninth grade year, um, he he got a, a uh, appendicitis, and they they weren't treating it. They, I mean, he'd get a little bit better, and then get bad, and then he get and he get better, and it, he spent in and out of school for about six weeks. And finally, they finally took it out, and it had ruptured, and so they did all sorts of surgery on him. Well, he missed eight weeks of algebra, and still made an A. And I'm thinking, I can't miss fifteen minutes of algebra and keep my head above water. But that was the kind of brain he had, again memorization, facts and figures. Well, Jerry went on to study at UNC Chapel Hill and then finally ended up somewhere in Florida around Jacksonville and studying for his PhD. And on this particular day, near the near the beach, he had finished typing his PhD. And it set it out, this was this was before word processors and, and computers. So this is the old way. You've got to type it out. So he had typed it out. It was sitting on his desk. And he went out to swim. And Jerry was caught and ripped tight. They found his body two days later down the beach. When they went into his apartment, they found his complete Ph.D. finished project done. He would have earned his Ph.D., so what's your point? Riptides are dangerous, right? Okay. Remember my mom would, after that, she would always be at the least bit of drifting at all. She'd always try to call us in. Dad was always just, you know, don't worry about it. Well, let me tell you about another riptide. This riptide is not in the ocean, it's in in the realm of Christianity. And it would be the story that's often told. I promise you I could tell it to Harry and he would say, I know that. Jonathan would know somebody like this. Tommy would know somebody like this. It's someone who, who comes to a saving knowledge of the Lord. And they're eager. They, they want to learn. They, they want to do. And they get caught up in some kind of doctrinal or undoctrinal riptide. And it carries them away. And it's not long until they're either out of church altogether or, they're, or they're, their testimony is wrecked or their Christianity is fallen upon uh, the, 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 the shipwrecked, if you were. And I'm not trying to say they're losing their salvation or not. I'm just saying in their life, their life in Christianity is shipwrecked because they got caught up in some type of riptide. That's the burden of any pastor. If you ask any pastor, what is the greatest disappointment to you in the ministry? One of those would be that people will sit under the preaching of the word and leave lost Sunday after Sunday. That is a burden. But the biggest burden, I would say, among pastors, is for exactly what I'm talking about. is people that profess to know the Lord, and it can be not only a doctrinal riptide, it could be a suffering riptide, it could be any type of thing that has the tendency or the or the propensity to, to sweep us away from the very anchor in which we have in Christ. And they end up shipwrecked. I know a pastor whose wife had been diagnosed with cancer and for some reason it just did not, it, it can't happen. It can't happen. I've, I've lived my life, and, if you, and he had taught this, if you live your life right and nothing will, bad will happen to you, His wife got cancer. Well, he's left with two options: either his wife isn't godly, or his doctrine isn't right. Mm-hmm. He chose the latter. His daughter told me she arrived at his house one day to find the the window to his study open and books being thrown out the window into the back of a pickup truck to be taken to the dump. Because God didn't live up to some type of standard or some type of rule or regulation or something had happened in their life that ended up being a riptide that has that that chance. And listen, it can happen to any of you. You're not careful something will happen in your life that will make you bring into question what you have in the Lord. As I mentioned about legalism, this is where this thrives. Legalism thrives in that type of issue. It thrives in the riptides. It thrives there because it leads people away from the sufficiency we have in Christ and in Christ alone. I told you last week, it's not just testimony that's at stake here. It is the gospel that's at stake. In our text in Colossians 2, look at verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I've titled this this morning Stay Out of the Shadows. Stay out of the shadows. You know, we have these types of things that happen worry. Some of you are prone to worry. Some of you, you deal with that. Some of you don't. It, it's, it's, and I've seen it sometimes with, um, I mentioned to you about a, a niece that had an, anorexia, and she, she would, has no appeal to me whatsoever. Okay. Thinking of eating and, and, and throwing up after eating, no, that, that doesn't have any appeal. No pull to that whatsoever. Well, some of you are like that towards worry. You don't worry. And you've got no patience with anybody who does worry. And that becomes the, the very thing or or it can be anger. You deal with a personality of anger. The natural bents of people to default sometimes to a legalistic idea of faith. Some of you were you grew up in a fundamentalist background. Some of you grew up in this King James only or dispensationalism or all these all these benchmarks that had to be met that fellowship was based upon and you lived in this legalistic idea of faith it wasn't christ and christ alone it was christ plus something it was christ plus me keeping we wouldn't say the law but that's really what we're driving at it's it's not about earning salvation but it is about good deeds It is this idea that slips in, this riptide of of idea that slips in that we maintain our salvation or we, we gain God's favor by some Bible that we read or some positional that we take or some music that we do or do not adhere to. Christians are those who discover that Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, without any works whatsoever, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you know the text. Ephesians 2, verses eighty nine. 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The argument among the, among the text is, what does, this is not of your own. What does it magnify? Well, in reality, it magnifies everything. Salvation's not of your own. Grace is not of your own. Faith isn't of your own. It's all of Christ. There's no works. Why? Because the, 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 the result of that, verse 9, not of works, so that no one can boast, right? This is this feeds our this feeds our pride that we have. This feeds this, this part of us that we want to be right. Okay? We, we want to be able to say, look, yeah, look at me. It may be all of grace, but I earn God's favor. I'm special to the Lord because I... whatever. And it causes us to boast. Well, all aspects of salvation are a gift of the Lord, but even true believers can, after a while, default to a legalistic way of practicing their faith. They try to live out their faith through some type of systems of do's and don'ts or rules and regulations or or even governed by fear. And that's what I've seen more times than not, especially in kids that grow up in that. That it's not that they don't, they don't do these things because they love the Lord. It's not, it's not a love issue, it's a fear. And we're driven by fear. Well, if I don't do that, I'm going to flunk the test. If I don't do that, God's going to give me a ticket. God's going to cause a wreck if I don't... Do these things, and it's this constant fear. I wonder sometimes, they say that the biggest recruiting grounds for false religion is Baptist churches. And I wonder, many reasons could be taught of that, and not taught doctrine, it could be, but I'm wondering if one part of that might be a response to the fear that they've lived under for their whole life. Rather than under the grace of God. A God that loved them when they were unlovable. But He still loves us. There's a fear of letting go of these religious works. A fear of God's displeasure, a fear of, of fleshly desires will, will run away unless I'm controlled by, by some practices. I, I know one pastor said, I, I can't go along with, with those freedoms because if you gave people the freedom uh, to choose their music, if you gave people the, the freedom to do these things, then, then they would just run rampant. So I would rather keep them, he didn't say it, I'll say it, enslaved. And that's where we end up, isn't it? We end up enslaved. We enslaved to works, or misguided beliefs, or legalisms, or some works of righteousness that we do. Romans fourteen. We'll turn back to that in a little bit. There's a free. There's a fear of their liberty that happens. Or there's a fear of, of past sins that happens. They believe that salvation is by grace alone, that sanctification is, is, is done by grace, but involves good works. And then, it's, it'd be one thing for it to stop there, but it doesn't. Then we turn it outwardly and we start judging people on the basis of what we do and don't do. Well, You go to movies, and I don't go to movies, therefore I'm more holy than you are. Or, you don't read the right Bible, therefore I'm more holy than you are. Or, you don't believe in some thought of eschatology, therefore I'm more holy than you are. See what happens? Then judgment starts happening out. There is this desire not only judging others... But a continuing even in this of Old Testament practices. How much of the Old Testament? This is the question, how much of the Old Testament are we to obey? And then what's happening is not only outwardly, not only in ourselves and outwardly, but it ends up being in the church. And so then the churches start causing division. And this group won't associate with that group. Listen, it can it can happen in in, in doctrinal churches, it happened at MacArthur's church. There was a guy there that that, that developed a, a set of programs called Growing Kids God's Way, and in its core, it was great material. But what happened was they ended up the people that took it ended up separating from those who didn't raise their kids according to those standards, who who didn't teach their kids to say please and thank you by sign language, and it ended up splitting church. And they ended up having to discipline the teacher out of the church. This is how far this went. This is what this is the problem of legalism. It creates disunity. It creates a, an, an oppressive atmosphere. We're fearful that we're, we're not walking. You know, Alan talked about going to a church in the mountains and realized that he had two versions of the Bible and he had to cover up one side because he didn't want the other people to see what he had. We live like that. causes church splits there's a desire to to add to our New Testament faith a sort of a Jewish flavor so we want to sing the old chants like they're more holy than others are I can give you an illustration of everything I'm talking about Well, Colossians 2 Paul is addressing this very issue Paul is concerned for the people at Colossae, just like I'm concerned for you or any pastor would would for his people, that they're about to be caught in a riptide that's going to destroy them. And he says in verse 16 again, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. This is a, a fighting against false teaching Paul has already talked about this and look at chapter 2 look at back at verse 8 just a moment Paul's introduced this this already what's going on in chapter 2 verse 8 said see to it that no one takes you captive there's the same sort of a language again by philosophy or are seed according to human traditions according to the elementary spirits of the world and not according to Christ They were stepping outside of that, but it it sounded good. It it looked good on the inside, but it was false. And if the teaching is false, then the practice will be false. It's a legalistic lifestyle here. It's a, a mixing of Old Testament ideas and even pagan ideas and bringing them into and mixing them with christ it's christ plus something verse 16 verse 17 these are a shadow of things to come but the substance belongs to christ some mixings of types these types are very dangerous and we we need to guard listen we need to guard our freedoms that we have in christ We live in a country that celebrates those times, don't we? We celebrate Memorial Day or Veterans Day or we even remember 9-11, don't we? And we lift those up as that one was a defeat but it was a reminder that we, we raised back up. We got the guy, right? We got him, right? Here in this text, Paul begins it with Therefore, Christ is... Therefore Christ is complete, salvation is complete, forgiveness is complete, victory is complete. He is all we need. Let no one therefore judge you. Let no one take you to task. Let let no one call you into account because you don't do these things. It's a present tense imperative. It's, It's actually happening. This is not something that had happened in the church or Paul's even prophesying that it would happen. It is happening. There are are those who are passing judgment and Epaphras has already told them about we've got people that are passing judgment on the people. They're not doing it this way. They're not keeping the old festivals. They're not keeping the new moon. They're not keeping the Sabbath. Therefore, they're not godly. But folks, the cross of Christ brings liberty to us. Galatians chapter 5, this is the other text, the other book that Paul is dealing with these issues, types of issues. And in Galatians 5 verse 1 it says, For freedom Christ has set us what? you remember, remember? He set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Why in the world would you go back if it's all of grace? Why would you bind somebody again in the old ways? But this is also to reveal a bigger problem. Their teaching may reflect that the person demanding these practices to be kept, that this is the way you know God or this is the way you live your faith out, may not know Christ at all themselves. That is a problem. I've seen those through the years who've defended some realm of fundamentalism only to find out later and Later on life that they've rejected the whole thing. They never knew Christ at all. Well, just two things in this text that we need to guard. How to guard our freedom or how to stay out of the shadows. Number one in verse 16 is stop or avoid a focus on the externals. Notice what he's doing. Therefore, let no one take you to task. Let no one judge you in question of food, drink, or regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. What's the immediately thing you see about that? He's not dealing with a heart issue at all. He's not dealing with he's not dealing with joy. He's not dealing with pursuing the scriptures. He's not dealing with all of those are external. They're to be seen. How you celebrate these festivals, or food, or drink, or festivals, or new moon, or Sabbath, all of that's external. And he's calling us here to avoid this focus on the external. And he narrowed it down to two things. I'll give you two words. One is diet, and the other is days. Or, if you prefer, a menu and a calendar. There were those who had convictions about food and drink. In fact, this is not the first time Paul has mentioned this, is it? Romans 14. 1 Corinthians, he's mentioned this as well. 1 Corinthians talk about meat offered to idols. And Romans 14 is talking about not being an offense to your brother, the weaker one. The food here, what they're describing here is this, this issue, and it's very Jewish here. You can, you can look at that and you can say, well, that, 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 I can see that's Old Testament. I can see that's, that's Old Testament food and drink. I, I remember those dietary laws. How many of those dietary laws are we to keep? In fact, there's a big push now in some circles that, see, God gave us the secret to great health. All you got to do is eat berries and, and crickets and um, this type of things, and you'll be healthy the rest of your life. Was that the purpose? Did God give us, in the Old Testament, this diet that we're supposed to, to follow, or was that just for them? This food was clean versus unclean. Leviticus 11. But God put these restrictions about food not about health. He wasn't giving them a diet. It was about teaching them about purity and impurity. That was about food. Things that you can't, you can't eat. You can't, can't eat pigs, right? can't eat clothing. Other things you can't eat. The second thing he says here is Drink, you know that the Old Testament has very little to say about drink. Very little about drink. The priest, what we do find out, where it is mentioned a couple of times, the priest are not not to have wine before they're to give sacrifice. We find that there. We find out the Nazarites had an extensive apports to it. They, They didn't drink alcohol at all, remember that? Or it's also talked about in the sense of a lack of moderation. You're not to be drunk. But there's no defining in the Old Testament of drink being clean or unclean. It's not in there. Not only the dietary laws, but also uh, the teaching about about drink or or non-Jewish, or at least non-Jewish ways. The false teaching of eating meat. But you, you don't eat it because you in the in the in the false religion the reason you don't eat meat in the false religion is because you might be eating uncle harry there was a teaching in those false religions that you came reincarnated and you come reincarnated as a cow or something else and so we don't eat meat because we don't want to eat my sister wine strong drink or festivals which made you or fasting which made you more spiritual These Old Testament regulations, these pagan beliefs that God doesn't expect New Testament saints to make dietary and drinking, it's not an issue. The New Testament, it's not about eating and drinking. In fact, turn back to Romans 14 just a moment. I've mentioned, I told you we'd be going here. Romans 14, Romans chapter 14. For the sake of time I'm going to read the entire chapter. You need to read it about abstaining from things. I'll pick up in verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Verse 20, 14, 20. Do not, do not for the sake of food destroy the works of God. Everything is is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble of what he eats. So, so by the way, what did what did what did he just announce? All food is what? It's all clean. Jesus is going to make that same comment in Mark chapter seven, I yeah. think it is. It's all clean. But do not, verse twenty again, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everyone everything is clean, but it is but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink or wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Although there are no restrictions, it's all clean. What's a greater commandment? Is your brother that you're not to be a stumbling block to them. Verse 22 the faith that you have, keep between yourselves and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Whatever he doubts is condemned if he eats, because he's eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is, is sin. So there's a mutual, there's an issue here in this text, not about clean and unclean, but about my brother. What if you have a, I, I, I mentioned this in sort of passing a few weeks ago well, what if you have somebody that came from like a, a drunkard background mom and dad were drunks and, and they started drinking when they were 12 and, and, and God saved them out of all that but you came from a family where a glass of wine wasn't anything of. That's, that's just what you do would it be wise to drink that in front of the brother who's stumbled? no why? because I don't want to set any stumbling block it's not about me being more spiritual It's not about me being more approved by God. It's about not setting a stumbling block before my brother. It's about weakness. Here we are to demonstrate in Romans 14, patience and gentleness and the preferring of others more than we prefer our own freedom. That's what governs our freedom, is not setting a stumbling block before my brother. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1st Timothy chapter 4 <clears throat> Paul here writing to his beloved Timothy in the chapter 4 look at verse 1 1st Timothy 4 verse 1 now the Spirit specifically says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared notice what they do what do they do? who forbid to marriage Who require abstinence from what? Foods. That God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. What did he just declare in that verse as well? It's all clean. You to receive it with thanksgiving. Verse 4 there. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. For if it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. Even Colossians here, a, a willfulness to prefer others. To be on guard of this false teaching. Let's, let's look back at that. I mentioned that Jesus is going to declare food clean. Let's go back. Let's follow that. Mark chapter 7. I, want, I said it. I want to back it up. As my professor says, where in the Bible did it teach that? Well, we need to go there. So turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Mark 7 verse 19 I'll start in verse 18 and he said then you also without understanding do you see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not into his heart but his stomach and is expelled thus he declared all foods what clean they're all clean can you imagine what that did to the Jewish people wow he just set us free Man, now I can eat that bacon I've been looking at for the last hundred years. Okay, Or Acts chapter 10. You know this story in Acts chapter 10 where the Lord is going to confront Peter about his, about his thoughts and convictions of his own heart. And, and in Acts chapter 10 beginning in verse 13, you know he has this vision. and Starting in verse 9, but I'll pick up verse 13. And there came a voice that says, Ride Peter, kill and eat. Peter's looking around, Mm-mm. I'm not following this trap. I can't do that. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I would never eat anything that is common or what? Unclean. And the voice came to him a second time and says, What God has made clean do you call common? Wow. Or as I mentioned, Romans 14. Keep going. Romans chapter 14. i already touched some of this text. Romans 14 verse verse 17 i think it is for the kingdom of god is not a matter of eating or drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the holy spirit wow it's not about food or first corinthians keep turning first corinthians chapter 8 first corinthians chapter 8 this really handles the matter because Paul here is going to say in verse 8 food will not commend us to God what you're trying to commend I'm telling you already doesn't commend you to God we're no worse off if we do not eat it and no better off if you do wow or as have already read to you 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 all food and drink then became lawful Now, if you got high blood pressure, you probably not need to be eating some food. If you got diabetes, you probably need to stay away from food. But they don't make you any more godly or less godly eating. It's a health issue. And you do need to follow your doctor. Okay, Praise the Lord we have doctors that can treat such things. But this is this is not about uh, health issues. It's not about allergies. Some of you had severe allergies. Thank you for your prayers for little E last week. And still trying to figure out what exactly is causing his breakout and, and not being able to breathe. But there's an allergy somewhere. Well, we're going to find out there's some food. He probably hasn't any business eating. I remember Emma came to our house and Tanya had made some chocolate chip cookies, put them in a Ziploc bag, and Emma came over, and my daughter-in-law came over and she reached in the bag to get the, the cookies and was eating and all of a sudden she started noticing her throat was closing up and she immediately said, Is there is there peanuts in these chocolate chips? There's not. And we come to find out that the Ziploc bag had sat on the counter next to some open peanuts. And her fingers had just touched the dust on the outside of the Well, again, she needs to stay away from peanut dust. But that doesn't make her any more holy or less holy. You understand what I'm saying? It's not an issue. Dietary discipline is not a sign of spirituality. You're not more holy or less holy because you do or don't eat steak. Right? But we're not to be judged, therefore, based upon food or drink. We're not to judge others on the basis of food and drink. And they're not to judge others. That's restriction, but not only is there a dietary restriction in this text that he's talking about that he's mentioned this food and drink or regard, but there's also dates, these festivals. He says here regard to festival or a new moon or the Sabbath. This this really is Jewish terms, right? This would be in the Jewish calendar. These festivals, new moon, the Sabbath—all this sounds Jewish. Not not to say that in false religions they didn't have their days, but this all sounds Jewish. These festivals were annual. This would included the Passover, or Pentecost, or the Feast of Tabernacles. These were done annually. The new moon would have been monthly. Talked about in Numbers 10, Numbers 28. This is about the lunar calendar. And there were days of rest and sacrifice and worship and fellowship and eating. That's the new moon, monthly. So we got got yearly and we got monthly. And these Sabbaths are what? They're weekly. So we're covering the whole thing. The purpose of this was to demand the nation of Israel to observe them. But nothing in the New Testament commands us to do this. We're free from all those obligations. In fact, the word Sabbath here, there's twenty-one epistles giving instructions to the New Testament for practice and life and what their life is supposed to look like. And did you know that Colossians two is the only reference to the Sabbath in all of them? It's not promoted. But see in Colossae, there were also false teachers bringing mysticism in, and by this they were judging those. Now let me say something. Paul is not saying that you shouldn't keep special days any more than he said that you can or cannot eat. That's not, that's not the point. Here's here's the one we deal with about Christmas. I've met I've met Christians in fact we've had them here we do nothing with Christmas. Problem is, we well, do everything for Christmas, and I invited them to my house. I didn't know that. Okay, <laughs> so I had a I had a Christmas tree in there, big as your head, and and decorated. And I mean, where I grew up, birthdays meant squat the way up, but Christmas was everything. But my dad made Christmas about Christ, and he even made Santa Claus. Whether you do or don't, that's fine. Keep it to yourself. I still believe it. I still hear the jingle. All right. So if you don't know what that means, that's fine. But there's a dividing line at that. And can it be overdone? Yes, just like food can be overdone. Can observing of days be overdone? Yes, but be careful about judging someone. Be careful about judging someone. This is part of our our liberty. Religious obligations is is a different matter. Freedom to do them, but I'm not obligated to do them. Again, I I try not to bind your conscience, but I was raised that you don't do anything on Sunday except go to church. And I said to you about your conscience, a lot of that conscience is caught and taught. Okay, And in my home, my dad wouldn't lay all the newspaper in the house until after church. Sat out on the front porch. No TV on except Day of Discovery and Dr. Paul Van Gorder and the Discovery Singers. That's how I woke up every Sunday morning. We didn't mow the grass. We didn't do those things. My neighbor who was here last week love him. He he works six days a week and sometimes the only day he's got, he loves the Lord, he mows the grass on Sunday. I have to tell you, it's there's a catch in my spirit. Go like why are you mowing grass? But you know what? I can't judge him on the basis of it. Sometimes the ox is in the ditch, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we need to be careful. There's a balance, isn't there? And we deal with that in anything. We would have people and have people that you, you put too much emphasis on man's responsibility and not enough on God's sovereignty. That God is completely sovereign. I need to, we need to teach you. We need to, you need to open the scriptures and read that. But there are some of you that may put too much on the sovereignty of God and relieve man of any responsibility. Man is responsible. Man is going to be held in judgment. How do those two things that go together? the other? i got no clue, but the Bible teaches both. We need a balance, right? It's just where we are. Romans 14 or 1 Corinthians 8 is not to curtail personal liberty for the sake... It is to curtail personal liberty on the basis of others. We limit it because of others. But in Colossians 2, it's not to be used as a judgment. It's It's to avoid focus on the externals. One more thing and we'll close. Not only is there avoidance of the externals, the, the food, the drink, the regard to festival, the new moon, and the Sabbath, but verse 17, these are but a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. There is, secondly, to cultivate a focus on Christ. All these things were meant to be a temporary. All of these regulations, all of these food issues, they were all to be temporary. They were all a, a shadow. They were all pointing to something. Something that was going to be absorbed in the substance. In fact, look at verse 17. There's a shadow of things to come, but the substance, some of your Bibles may say body. It's not a good translation. Substance. The real substance of the issue belongs to Christ. The shadow is absorbed in the substance. Now in a few few weeks... Bob's going to come back. And you're going to go pick him up, right? Okay. She doesn't like taking him to the airport. She likes going to pick him up. She likes hellos, does not like goodbyes. Okay. So let's let's say for a minute you, you decide to go with her. And you're standing there with her, and, and the sun is shining brightly, and all of a sudden the first thing you see about Bob is this big shadow that's casting because the sun's behind would Tanya look, go, hey, look, here's my husband? No. You think, okay, she's lost it. Okay, she's lost it. No, the shadow is nothing more than casting from the substance. And when the substance gets there, you don't care about the shadow anymore. The shadow's gone. What's being shadowed in the Old Testament is now substance is come in Christ. Hebrews chapter 8, turn over there real quick. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5. Hebrews 8 and verse 5. Uh, they're, they're, they have a copy and a, a shadow of heavenly things. But when Moses was about to erect the temple, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that is shown to you. There it is. It's just, I mean, all I'm showing you is the, is the shadow that's being cast. Or chapter 10, Hebrews 10 and verse 1 since therefore the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities it is therefore by the same sacrifices that are continued offering every year made perfect by those who draw near they're a rough outline in a shadow you don't get the details all you get is the outline of what's about to happen or the person that's about to arrive It's predicting something. It's pointing to an object. And when the object comes, we don't look at the shadow anymore. The object that produces the shadow is what we love. The substance belongs to Christ, He is the fulfillment of the law. In Him, all the ceremonial observances are fulfilled. He is what it means to be separated unto God. He is our Passover. He is the veil to God. Romans chapter 10. You don't have to turn to this. I'll go to it quickly. Romans chapter uh, chapter 10. Paul here again writes for us in Romans 10 and verse 4. For, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul is asking, why why are you submitting to all these things? We have Christ. Our salvation, he's already got through preaching it. Our salvation in Christ is complete. Our forgiveness in Christ is complete. Our victory in Christ...